Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined this time by Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hey, Mike. Andrew, how you doing? Doing pretty well out here at Winter, not Winter Park. Wow. Quite the throwback. I don't know why I was going to say that. Out here at TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings are preparing for Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. We don't have Ben Gessling on this episode. We have to adjust. This is a league of adjustments. Um, he has next man called, up. Next man up. He's been called out to uh, uh, some more important duties than chatting Vikings, but we have plenty to talk about in terms of the offense. Kirk Cousins, his comfortable, comfortability, as they say, in the offense, um, his relationship with Mike Zimmer seemingly growing closer in year four, maybe out of necessity or pressure from the quarterback. We'll get into that. Uh, and then we'll talk about Kevin Stefanski leading the Cleveland Browns uh, to their first playoff appearance in some time last year, coming back, trying to make another run at it this year and has a pretty good team to do it. And then we'll answer your questions in the mailbag as we always do. Um, Mike, I think we should start though with just this offense and how well it's playing right now. Really, when you look at this Vikings team at one and two, you kind of think, boy, if the defense can just kind of put a complete game together, they might not have to eke one of these games out like they've been trying to do over the first three weeks. Um, I thought it was interesting. We heard the Fox broadcast and Laura Oakman report during Sunday's game against the Seahawks about how Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins are meeting once a week every Thursday for 45 minutes, go over film, go over game plan, just talk some X's and O's and maybe just talk more than football as well. And we had heard that about them meeting more behind the scenes, but those specific details about it being every Thursday and for 45 minutes that had just come out on Sunday. I'd asked Mike Zimmer about it today. And he said, yes, I think that's helped our communication in our fourth year together. I think that's helped us. The direct quote Mike Zimmer had was, I can now understand better some of the things Kirk is seeing on game days. He can kind of understand some of the things I want to see on game days and what I'm seeing out of opposing defenses. And in general, it just seems to have kind of cleared up their communication weekly going into it. Um, is this a good thing, Mike? Or, or are you like other people who wonder, why, why wasn't this happening sooner? I think it can be both. I mean, I think it, it is a little... It, I think the, the kind of snarky response of why, why aren't they doing this from the get-go is, is a good one. I guess the, the snarky comeback would be, did, did Mike Zimmer know Kirk Cousins was on his team? Because he plays offense. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, 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 it's a good thing. I mean, especially, especially from the place of tension that these guys were at seemingly just a month or two ago with, with the vaccination status uh, of Kirk Cousins really drawing the ire of a lot of, any, a lot of people in the organization, including Mike Zimmer. Um, you know, and I, I think I even wrote something at the time, like, Hey, you know, Zimmer kind of needs cousins. He, 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 you know, as much as he's frustrated by this, maybe he needs to make some sort of peace with cousins. And, you know, maybe this is uh, a part of, of that. I think Kirk cousins, as we've, as he's demonstrated over the years is a very cerebral quarterback. He likes to be able to kind of go through that process and going through a process like that with someone who is, you know, so well-schooled on defense, it's probably professionally, you know, personally and professionally good for both of them. You know, Zimmer gets a better idea of what his quarterback is seeing. Cousins gets a better idea of, you know, kind of, okay, here's what this defensive mind is telling me about, you know, what I'm seeing out on the field. So I think it's, yeah, it, 
I, I guess the only, you know, when you see Cousins playing some of the best football of his career, again, through only through three games, you know, being very high in total QBR, pro football focus rankings, playing clean, fast, you know, good decisions, quick decisions. You wonder how much this is a part of it. And you do right. Kind of wonder like, boy, could they have tried this a little sooner? Yeah. And I think the part that stands out to me is, is not just kind of understanding where the other one's coming from during the middle of the week, but then how that impacts Sundays where when you run into a situation where potentially you disagree or you run into a spot where, yeah, we need to adjust here. How do we do that? They seem to be more on the same page of how to do that, whether that's Clint Kubiak, Kirk and Zimmer, or just Kirk and Zimmer. It seems to me that there aren't these diversions of Zimmer going to the podium on Monday or Sunday after the game saying, boy, I really didn't like how we did that, or we didn't run the ball enough, or all the criticisms and shots you've seen him make across the bow at the offense during his tenure here in Minnesota. Um, there's been little reason to do that because they all seem to know and like what they're doing on offense. And I wonder how much those heart to hearts are just kind of just spending time together in a meeting room and going over things about the offense and about what Kirk sees and what Zimmer sees, how much that can help them weather some of the storms you're inevitably going to get on Sundays when a defense throws a look at you that you're not used to seeing, which is going to happen and has happened in some of these games already. So I think that's a big part of it too, where you're just not having Zimmer express his opinions after the fact and say, boy, I didn't like that we did this. And sometimes doing it for the first time publicly as he's done in the past, which doesn't always go over well, but we are seeing Kirk play very, very comfortable. I mean, it reminds me of um, stretches of, of the 2019 season where we kind of coined it Kirktober because I think he was named NFC player of the month in October where he just lights up a bunch of opponents. Kevin Stefanski, the opposing head coach for Sunday was calling plays for the Vikings at that point. And that to me was the last time that we really saw Kirk, I think, look this good and the offense look this smooth. And Kirk was crediting today um, just how Clint is kind of almost embodying Stefanski a little bit in terms of just this aggressive approach, this detail-oriented approach where we do generally have a lot of these things uncovered by game day. We don't feel like we're unprepared for too much. So I find it interesting how the offense is kind of humming in a way that it was when Kevin Stefanski was here. Um, what I guess what stands out to you, Mike, when you see Kevin Stefanski coming back to U.S. Bank Stadium uh, with a Browns team and a Browns offense that is probably just as good as this Vikings offense is right now. Yeah, I mean, people, Vikings fans love to have, you know, revisionist history, the loves we lost. I think it goes back to, you know, when Mike Tomlin was here as defensive coordinator and, you know, under Brad Childress in that first year, then he gets hired away and people are like, oh man, you know, would have been nice to have Tomlin around for a couple of years and then, you know, promote him when, when they got tired of Childress and, you know, similar Similar things have happened over uh, over the years where, you know, talented young coordinators leave and then pop up and do good things with other teams. I You know, it was unrealistic to think Stefanski was going to get promoted here after 2019. I mean, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. Like if he was going to get a head coaching job that year, it was going to be, you know, somewhere else like Cleveland. It would have been interesting if he hadn't gotten that job that year, had been here in 2020. Um, I wonder what might have happened then. Yeah, I guess I do got to say that the playoff win smoothed over a lot of the issues that were plaguing the 2019 team. You remember how 2019 ended? Dalvin Cook wasn't healthy. They lost a really critical game at home to the Packers. I think it might have even been on primetime at U.S. Bank Stadium where um, Mike Boone had to start at running back. They just got throttled. And there was there was a lot of talk coming out of that end of that season of is Mike Zimmer on the hot seat, the coach or excuse me, the ownership group 
had to come out and Mark Wolf put his name on a statement saying, we believe in Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman. And then they won that playoff game. And then it's okay. We are headed in the right direction. Um, there were some people in the building. I remember talking to at the time in December, 2019, who were saying, boy, I wonder if Kevin Stefanski and a George Payton tandem is the way to go as opposed to Zimmer Spielman. And then we see both Stefanski and Payton leave and get head jobs elsewhere soon after that. So there is this thought. It's not just of fans. There is this thought of some people in the building who have been here long enough. They were with George Payton for years here. They're with Kevin Stefanski for years here who look at that and now say, boy, you know, we could have had some of that here too, as well. Some of that success that we're seeing elsewhere. But when you are two plays away from being three and O as, as they tell themselves often enough here at the TCO performance center, I guess there's not too much to feel bad about at this point. Um, they do need more from the defense. And, yeah. and we, we heard from Mike Zimmer. Um, we heard from Michael Pierce, the nose tackle today out here in Egan um, talking about how their run defense is pretty bad against Seattle to start. And then it kind of got easier, obviously when Seattle abandoned the run, that's not going to happen when Kevin Stefanski, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt come walking through that door. I think this is the best offensive line in Cleveland that the Vikings are going to face certainly before the bye week. Um, and it probably has that case through much of the season in terms of some of the tougher O-lines that they're going to face. So um, we're going to learn quite a bit just how improved this defense is uh, when it comes to the big bodies they signed to stop the run uh, with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt coming in. Yeah, the, the defense has been pretty underwhelming so far with the, with the caveat being I thought they adjusted nicely against Seattle. I mean, Seattle put up 17 quick points and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. This is the narrative. They're going to have to outscore them. And then Seattle, very, like you said, very bizarrely kind of stopped running the ball. And Chris Carson had been having quite a few uh, large holes and uh, you know, using his, his strength. And they were catching them off guard a lot with you know, going no huddle and keeping, their, uh, you know, keeping some of their smaller defensive pass rushers on the field and you know, gashing them on early downs for some pretty nice runs. So they made some good adjustments, but you're right. Th- this will be a different type of offense, a little bit more balance, a little bit more you know, kind of the, the offense that they used to kind of what they used to run here, obviously, if, if Stefanski is in charge now and it, it will be a test. I think this is a pretty good test on both sides of the ball. I don't think Cleveland is great on either side of the ball, but I think they're good on both sides of the ball and their special teams is pretty good too. So if you add that up, probably the most well-rounded team they've played so far. Yeah. And they're scoring the Browns are 28. I think it's like 28 and a half points a game heading into this one. And their quarterback has thrown two touchdowns. Yeah. So that, <laughs> Just... they're, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're not unleashing Baker May, Baker Mayfield. They're trying to kind of game manager him for a little bit, which is interesting because that's not really his, what you think of as his style, but it, it's been enough to, to, to win, you know, to win a couple so far. Yeah. They just haven't needed him. Um, you look at this offense in Cleveland, it's, it's a top five red zone offense in part because of how well they run the ball. Once they get inside an opponent's 20, they are handing the ball off more often than not because they trust that offensive line. They trust Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You might think of Nick Chubb as the goal line back. Kareem Hunt's just as good at that in terms of his skill set and his, able, his ability to just be elusive. Um, he's got a little bit of Dalvin Cook to him almost in that, in that front more so than Nick Chubb. And so they got two backs that can really hurt you in very, very different ways. And they use them so effectively at the goal line. And it, re- it reminds me a lot of what we saw from Stefanski here in Minnesota when Dalvin Cook was racking up, I think in 2019, he had like 13, 12 or 13 rushing touchdowns. A lot of it is the same philosophy. He's very 
um, analytically driven Kevin Stefanski is. And it's funny because Mike Zimmer even brought that up today and saying he's very detail oriented, very, you know, statistic minded, that kind of stuff. And it, it, it stands in contrast to how Mike Zimmer generally likes to operate, which is when it's fourth and one at the goal line and against Seattle, I'm going to kick a 20 yard field goal as opposed to trying to go for it there. Um, and Zimmer knows it. Zimmer knows that his decisions fly in the face of what the numbers tell him. It's in his headset. The Vikings have uh, an analytics team that is constantly reminding coaches in the headsets of what is coming and what the, what the probabilities say. And Mike Zimmer decides to go his own way oftentimes with those decisions. Kevin does not. And I think Clint Kubiak and Kevin share a lot of that lines of thinking, but only one of them now, Clint, is under that thumb of Mike Zimmer. And so it's going to be interesting to see some of the coaching decisions that get made on Sunday and seeing how Kevin operates versus Mike Zimmer, because I think those styles are going to be at the forefront when you do see, okay, it is all Kevin's call now on fourth and whatever, and it is all Mike Zimmer's call on fourth and whatever, because the Vikings still very much are kind of a conservative team. When you see the NFL landscape, Mike, and you see on Sundays, all these teams going for it on fourth down, Vikings generally aren't one of those teams doing it. No, they're not. I think they kind of edged a little bit, you know, towards more kind of a middle of the pack team in that in recent years, as they've kind of embraced, you know, the idea that the NFL is, is becoming less maybe about field position all the time and more about keeping the ball and keeping the ball away from these really good offenses that, you know, gaining 30, 40 yards, sometimes on a punt, isn't all that meaningful if another team is just going to get it all back in two minutes. It's, it, you know, if you have a fourth and three, you might be better off going for it from midfield than trying to pin a team deep, things like that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's, they're not, uh, they're not one of these teams that's you know, just going to be like, you know, fourth down bot all the time and going for it and, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to open up the game that way. Zimmer still wants to lean on his defense. Doesn't want to put his defense in a bad position and maybe wants his defense to get the glory uh, when, when the day is done. Yeah, and Zimmer, he had mentioned, I know a lot of people are mad at me for not going for the touchdown against the Seahawks there at the goal line, but he pointed out how his defense held Seattle scoreless in the second half. It helps when your defense is on the field for like five minutes in the second half too <laughs> with the way the offense was running. Um, Injury-wise, it seems like Dalvin Cook was back at practice today, although I'm not sure how much he was able to get done. It is a good sign, though, that Wednesday he was already able to get out there and get some work in in terms of his availability to play Sunday. I do believe that the Vikings sat him against the Seahawks knowing that Derrick Henry had just demolished uh, the Seattle's defense, thinking Alexander Madison could do more of the same. And then also knowing we're, we're probably going to need Dalvin uh, Sunday against Cleveland and their defense with Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, and the players that they have on that side. Um, I also think the Vikings have a decent chance of getting Anthony Barr back this week. He was practicing for the fourth straight day that he could being out there on Wednesday after practicing three straight days last week. And so if he's able to get a full session in before the end of the week, I would imagine he's going to return and that'll help them try to stop this running game for Cleveland as well. So this might be the healthiest the defense has been going into this game, which is a good sign for, for the Vikings. Um, in terms of the offense, we talked about cook. Uh, they didn't have Rashad Hill on Sunday or excuse me, on Wednesday of this week at practice. Christian Derrissaw, the rookie, is slowly ramping up his work. So I'm wondering at what point, Mike, would you feel comfortable plugging Christian Derrissaw in when I know Rashad Hill's not the best left tackle, but what they're doing with him is, has been somewhat working here the past couple of games. Yeah, I mean, some of it might be determined by necessity, right? I mean, if, if Rashad Hill can't play and Derrissaw is 
healthy enough, but feeling like if it's more of a question of rust and unfamiliarity than it is a question of, you know, pure health, I would imagine Derisaw probably does play. Maybe he doesn't play every single snap. Maybe he gets some, some rotation with, with uh, however they're going to do it uh, at uh, at that at that spot at left tackle, um, you know when when they needed to spell him, or maybe maybe they just let him ride. It's a it's a dicey week though to be uh, to be playing games on the offensive line with with so much talent there. You got you know, like you said, Jarrett. You got Jadavian Clowney. You've got plenty of talent on that side of the ball. And while a lot while the line has held up really well the last two weeks, and they've you know I think Kirk Cousins has helped that by getting rid of the ball and. Clint Kubiak has helped that by, you know, with, with the plays he's designing, this will be a different, this will be a different level of challenge than, than what Seattle had to offer. Yeah. I would, I would have to imagine their fingers are crossed that Darius is not making his debut against miles Garrett, who just had four and a half, uh, again, four and a half sacks. Uh, it's not the five that Chandler Jones had before they faced him and ended up doing all right, but four and a half of the nine sacks, the Browns had against Justin Fields and the bears last week, boy, um, if the Vikings enjoy any of watching what Cleveland did to Chicago, it's looking at that and saying, Hey, maybe we can do some similar stuff to Chicago as well. Justin Fields looked terrible, by the way, he was awful, he was awful in that game. And did you see, the, did you see the Jared Goff quote after the lions, uh, after the lions lost on that 66 yard field goal, he said something like at some point the gut, the gut punches will end or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, ah, uh, sir, I don't know if you remember what franchise you just got traded to, but they have not stopped for about 60 years. So you might want to take that one back. Yeah, sir. This is Detroit. Um, no, no, they, they will not stop. <laughs> the gut punches will continue uh, until everybody is satisfied. Yeah. That's what Barry Sanders said at some point. That's what Calvin Johnson said. That's what Matthew Stafford said. And, and you, sir, are no, no, uh, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders or Matthew Stafford, by the uh, way, by the way, your Stafford take from the start of the year looking very, uh, very good. He's been great so far. <laughs> I honestly, I I've, I like Matthew Stafford so much just watching him, um, so closely in the NFC North, but I think part of why I was so bullish and I'm far from alone. I think it's, I think I'm in the majority of people who thought, Stafford and McVay together is going to be a, a Super Bowl contending team because you look at that Rams roster and it's just loaded. It's loaded on offense. It's loaded on defense. It stinks that they don't have Cam Akers in that backfield. But when you have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and a lot of the way a lot of those defenders are playing right now, and then just how smart Sean McVay is. To me, it was Stafford finally having a coach that could help, that could meet him halfway, that could just – Basically, it wasn't Stafford having to overcome his defense, having to overcome his coaching. Everything he had to do in Detroit was just overcoming all the crud around him. Um, yeah, he's looked phenomenal. And so that, that's going to be a fun trip to Minnesota, I'm sure, or for the Vikings to have to try and stop that because I think the Rams come to U.S. Bank Stadium in December. Uh, so that's going to be a tough one. But anyway, yeah, I, I, think, I think the gut punches are not going to stop for Detroit. No. Mike, Mike Zimmer had to have loved what he saw from Justin Fields in Chicago. And from Matt Nagy, having no idea how to game plan for his own rookie quarterback was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, Cleveland pass rush, it's going to be hard to stop. I think this defensive line for Cleveland is going to be one of the tougher ones too, but um, the real challenge is going to be that Cleveland O-line and trying to figure out how to, to slow down that freight train of a rushing attack they've got uh, with the Browns and Kevin Stefanski. Um, it's going to be interesting to see too, when you look at, when you look at the Vikings offense trying to stay going, how sustainable do you think it is that Kirk Cousins has continued to play turnover free? Because as he'll remind you, as Mike Zimmer will remind you, a lot of this stuff is just luck. And sometimes you just do for bad luck. 
So I, when you see his kind of turnover free play, I guess, how much are you clenching just waiting for the bad play to come? You generally are. I mean, he had what 13 interceptions last year. He's fumbled plenty. He could have lost a fumble last week. It was the ball bounced right back to him on one of those later drives where I think they got a field goal. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think he's taking care of the ball pretty well. It doesn't seem like he's had a lot of like turnover worthy throws, like a lot of like plays that could have been intercepted or that, that were, that were dropped. But if, if the question is, can he sustain that? I mean, his history says probably not, not like he's been a, not like he's been a turnover machine, not like a, you know, couple of years ago era, Jameis Winston, but um, you know, part of what does kind of gnaw at you, if you root for the Vikings is that, Cousins has played about as well as he could play in these three games, and they're one and two. Like you, you've kind of not taken close to full advantage of of that. Even at two and one, even if you know, again, we go back to the missed kick or the Dalvin Cook fumble, both plays, you would expect at least one of those to go their way and, and to win one of those games. To not have been able to take full advantage of that and know that at some point this year, there's going to be a pretty bad clunker, whether it's just Kirk having a bad day, whether it's a defense just completely getting after that offensive line and, and making life miserable for him. That's a, that, that's a tough one because you're probably going to lose a game or two just because of that. And you've already given away a couple uh, where the offense, you know, did enough to win. Yeah. And right now the Vikings lead the NFL with just one giveaway. It being that Dalvin Cook fumble against the Bengals, it was in overtime too, wasn't it? It was, yeah. They were driving to potentially get the winning score because Cincinnati had already had the ball. Yeah, but defensively, the Vikings are not taking the ball away at much of a high rate. They have just two interceptions uh, on the season, no fumble recoveries. And so their, their give-take, the whole turnover margin stat is not great for them, but they do lead the NFL just not giving it away at all. So you figure those are going to come on both sides of the ball, both the takeaways and the giveaways. Um, but that's that's the brand that's when I imagine Mike Zimmer and Kirk sitting down for their weekly chats. That's probably the part that that greases the skids the most is Kirk is sitting down with zero turnovers through three games right now. And that's Mike Zimmer's favorite brand of offense, which is turnover free. Um, I, so I can't imagine too much is upsetting him right now with the way this offense is rolling. Uh, Mike, let's talk now. Let's let's get to um, some questions here. we got about 15 minutes before we can wrap up. We have a lot of good questions. You can always send them to us uh, on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles at startribune.com, or you can send them to our emails, which you can also find at startribune.com. we got a question here. Let's start with – I want to start with this one from Kurt because we had talked about injuries, Barr and Derisaw. Um, he wants to know why didn't we put Anthony Barr and Christian Derrissaw on injured reserve at the beginning of the season so they weren't taking up roster spots? And Kurt's obviously talking about the fact that these guys have been out for more than three weeks and you can return off injured reserve after three weeks. Uh, it's because they wanted them practicing. That's, that's honestly the biggest reason. Like Even though they went into the season knowing probably that Christian Derrissaw was not going to be ready before or by that Seattle game by week three, um, they couldn't have him practice. When you get put on IR, the NFL rule is you need to be out for three weeks. And that means not just out of games, that means out of practice. And then after that three-week period, you can be activated to return to practice. So this is the fourth straight week Christian Derrissaw is practicing. He would be in his first week had he been put on IR. That is a three-week difference that NFL coaches will tell you is huge. It's three weeks of being out there with the team, three weeks of doing the drills, the technique, three weeks of hearing the language of your teammates and, and the adjustments, everything, all the little stuff that goes into it. Um, that is huge. And with Anthony Barr, it's the same thing. 
with the knee issue he's got going on, there's no way he would have been able to go out on the field and have a limited practice if he were on injured reserve. So to me, it was all about practices. They were willing to eat that roster spot to get those guys on the field and then feel better about returning them to the field, to the game field, um, once they were healthy enough to do, to do so. So that's that's an easy one we can start off with. Yeah, especially Derisaw. I mean, he's a guy, rookie, left tackle. He, he's going to need reps. So if you put him on IR and he's now he's back at practice, he's, he's certainly not anywhere near ready to play at this point if he hasn't even practiced as a rookie and has missed all this time leading up to it. Now that he's had three weeks under his belt, that's not a lot. That's, you know, it's not even like a full, you know, not even close to a full off season, but it probably puts him on schedule to play much sooner than he would have been if he, if he had been an IR. Yeah. Um, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on this one. Joel wants to know, did something transpire between Zimmer and Kirk cousins for Zimmer to change his tune? He typically isn't one to hand out compliments, but he's been quite, he has had quite nice things to say about Kirk in the last three weeks compared to the beginning of training camp. Uh, Mike, what do you think? I think the thing that transpired is Kirk Cousins has been playing really well. I mean, it, it might be as simple as that. And I, again, we talk a lot about the, you know, the the communication between the two, that these film sessions, I think that certainly has helped. It's probably helps that when they have these sessions, um, Cousins looks good and he's played well. And, you know, there's some good film to to look at and some good stuff to, to look looked forward to. But I, I honestly would probably think that the biggest thing is, you know, the biggest thing is a, um, you know, the, I think the the vaccine question, while it's still there, probably has faded a little bit as football has taken more of a focus, and maybe that's you know that that issue has has you know maybe moved to the back burner. And and B, you know, Kirk Cousins is playing really good football, and if your head coach, that's the bottom line. Like you are willing to forgive some personal grievances if if that is the case. And so I think that's probably the simple short answer to that. Yeah, to me, it comes down to. To precisely that it's it's there's few things to nitpick with Kirk Cousins game I mean they talk about the red zone offense settling for field goals instead of touchdowns like there are small things but when you're avoiding the landmine issues with Mike Zimmer and the offense turnovers is the biggest one to me and with Kirk playing turnover free football putting up uh, as many points as they've put up uh, I don't think anything has to happen behind the scenes for Zimmer to praise his quarterback we've heard Zimmer praise Kirk before when he, when he's winning NFC player of the month against, you know, lions and Eagles and whatever teams it was that he was beating up on uh, in 2019 when he was doing that. So um, this is different. I think last year when they were putting up all those yards and points, Mike Zimmer had a worthwhile counter to that. And he would say, well, it's because we're playing bad defense and the guys facing prevent defense the entire second half. And he's able to throw a bunch of touchdowns to play catch up. Like we've had to, and that's true. And, and the offensive players, Kirk, everybody, would say the same exact thing last year. This year is different. This year, they are not giving up as many points right out of the gate, even though they have been in some higher scoring games. Um, the offense is producing right away. You have three touchdown drives without having to have a third down. Was that in Arizona? I think it was. Like, that was phenomenal. Like, that's stuff that anybody is going to be able to see, uh, certainly Mike Zimmer. So I think that it just comes down to his play on the field. Um, Nick wants to know, how is the Vikings offensive line going to hold up against the Browns defense. And then along those lines, he wants to know, is Kirk going to be able to maintain his great streak under pressure? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, can't remember who it was. I think it was Dalvin Dalvin cook compared that third down throw that Kirk made to KJ Osborne with the pressure in his face at the very end of the Seahawks game. He compared that to Kyler Murray's fourth down throw 
at the end of that game where Kyler was backing up against the blitz and just chucks this thing up. We are seeing Kirk play so comfortable, even under pressure in a way that I am not used to seeing. Um, what, what do you think about that? Mike? Yeah, I think it's the, with, with Kirk cousins, the question has generally been about consistency and sustainability. Like when you do something good for a few games, can you turn that into six games? Can you turn that into eight games? Can you turn that into a whole season where you're playing at a high level where, you know, there's going to be some, some minor ups and downs, but that there's this kind of like consistency where you know what you're going to get day in and day out. I just, I, I think the cop-out answer to that question is I just don't, I don't think, I don't think we know yet. I, I think, I think he's been tested a little bit. Um, I don't think they've played, you know, they've played okay defenses, but I think, I think Cleveland and, you know, again, some of these other teams are going to face later in the year, the Rams, um, you know, some of these other teams they're going to face as the year wears on will certainly provide a fuller picture to that. And the answer generally in the past has been no, not like he doesn't bounce back again then from that and play well at at other stretches, but that there have been times where you can fluster him, you can get him, you can get him into a game where all of a sudden he just doesn't look like anything close to the best version of himself. And the offense basically has no chance to go anywhere. You can't, you know, you can't move the ball. You, you're, you're predictable. And then, then the, the pass rush can tee off on you. So we've yet to see a game like that yet. So that maybe gives you some level of encouragement that it could be sustained. But I think we need to see more before we're convinced that we're not going to see it at all. Yeah, we're seeing Kirk right now. And a lot of his play against pressure is him anticipating some of this too, because there are many times we're seeing him it just looks like he's clear headed. He knows where the blitz is coming from. He's identifying it beforehand. He's knowing if there's, if his protection is unable to pick everybody up, he knows I'm going to have a free runner this way. I need to get the ball out on time. That has not always been the case with him. And part of that is Garrett Bradbury and their work together, identifying the defensive front, certainly better than they did in the opener in Cincinnati. That was not a good start for them on that front. But in the two games since, it seems like Kirk has been unfazed and just kind of knowing what's coming and what the defense is giving him. Um, And I think that's a credit to their preparation and just Kirk's clear-headedness in the moment uh, of knowing these things. Because we, like I said, we have not always seen that from Kirk. So um, that's going to be the big thing is, are they going to be as well-prepared for Cleveland as they have been for both Seattle and Arizona these past two weeks? And then as far as how's the O-line going to hold up against the Browns, I mean, they're just going to have to treat Miles Garrett like they did Chandler Jones. When you go back and watch that Cardinals game, whenever Chandler Jones is lined up across left tackle, you saw a lot of chips. You saw the running back help, tight end help and protection. Um, You saw a lot of quick passes when they weren't helping. Uh, Anytime you didn't have any help assigned, generally, you had Kirk Cousins getting that ball out very quick and not asking Rashad Hill to block Chandler Jones one-on-one for more than two or three seconds. And so I imagine you're going to want the same thing against Miles Garrett, a guy like we mentioned, who just had four and a half sacks um, against Justin Fields in Chicago. Clear eyes, full heart. You like that? Is that how we do it? <laughs> That's right. Can't lose, as they say. Can't lose. Uh, Steven's got a good question. He says, you're the Vikings GM. You get one mulligan from last offseason. He wants to know how do you use it? If you could just wipe away one decision you the Vikings made last offseason, um, and if you're the GM and you get to do that, which one would you would you redo? That's a good question. I don't know if we're going to fully know the answer to that. It's probably three weeks is maybe a little too soon to answer that question. Um, I, you know, I think I, I think I think I got one. What do you got? I would have let Anthony Barr walk. 
Okay. I would have, I think I, and this is, this is a hundred percent hindsight because you had just signed Nick Vigil. You have no idea if the guy's going to come in and play the way he does. So I'm not saying that they would, they, they should have known this, but Nick Vigil's played very well. Um, yeah. They gave him one of the game balls after the um, Seahawks game. He obviously had the pick six in Arizona. Um, he has played very well in a coverage nickel linebacker spot where basically they need him to play for Anthony Barr. When they're in their base, Nick Vigil plays that old Chad Greenway, Kendrick's role where it's weak side, and then their strong side backer has been Blake Lynch. That's where they suffer the most without Anthony. But you're in your nickel the most anyway. You're in your pass defense the most anyway. So if Nick has played the way he has, I would have saved that money, let Anthony Barr walk, and maybe spent some more of that money in your O-line. When you're going after a guy like Joe Thune, you're going after one of these top offensive linemen, you couldn't afford to do it because you knew you needed all this money for the defensive tackle spots or the corners or whatever. If you could have had some of that extra money from your linebacker spot, maybe allocated that to a guard or something that, that might've helped them a little bit, but that is such a level of hindsight that I wouldn't never have expected them to have. Cause they would have presumed that you would have thought Nick Vigil would have played as well as he did. Yeah. And that's probably was leading me to where I was naturally going to go anyway, which was, I, I still wanted them to do more, to upgrade that offensive line, whether it was just like one more veteran to make you to, to give you a little bit more security on the interior of that line. Now I think the lines played pretty well the last couple of weeks. So maybe they're finding something there. Maybe they're figuring out how to work with this group and how to maximize whatever, you know, whatever benefits they can get from it. But I do wonder is the year wears on if they're going to regret go, you know, trusting so much youth and, and trusting so much, so little experience on the offensive line, especially, you know, learning the lessons they did last year with how inexperienced those corners were. I do remember after they missed out on Joe Thune, because that was, those the chiefs was the former Patriots guard who signed with the chiefs for just a ton of money. And I'm not saying the Vikings would have even come close to what he ended up getting from Kansas city. But I remember talking to somebody in the building after that and saying they were, they were just frustrated and they go, boy, look at what Tom Brady did all the time, giving up all that money back to his franchise so they could sign talent. Just imagine if, if we had a guy that could do that or something, basically blaming Kirk for not signing Joe Thune, which that's a little much, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I get where they're coming from because they are stuck with that, that gigantic exorbitant figure that does prevent them from allocating a ton of else money on the offense. And maybe that, that forces them to lean young uh, on offense a little bit. Um, all right, Mike, let's, let's end with the chicken fingers statement. Cause it is a, it's a good question. I shouldn't even call it a statement. It's a good question. Do you have it pulled up in front? I do. Yeah. Can you please explain how each week's defensive game plan is developed? Is it 50, 50 Mike and Adam Zimmer, or is it mostly Adam and Mike just provides oversight Sunday's halftime adjustments felt like when I left my, when I let my kids take the first crack at their math homework, but then I correct it all. <laughs> He's obviously referring to the fact that I think Chris Carson ran wild. He had like 70 yards on 10 carries in the first half. And then they, they shut him down after that. Um, that's a good, that's a good question about like, how is the defensive game plan developed? Because this is still very much Mike Zimmer's defense. There's a reason Andre Patterson's title calls him co-head coach as well as co-defensive coordinator. Um, Andre Patterson has so much influence in their game plan uh, in terms of the run fits in terms of how they scheme that stuff up for an opposing running game. So when you're asking ahead of the Browns week, how's this game plan being developed? Andre Patterson has a huge involvement. It's basically Zimmer and Andre Patterson, Mike Zimmer, that is. Uh, Adam Zimmer's um, specialty is linebackers. He's been working more with the, the secondary and the defensive backs. Um, I would say this is more even 
when we're talking fronts, it's more Paul Gunther, Mike Zimmer, Andre Patterson. Those are the three, I think, that kind of form the brain trust on that front. And then Carl Scott and Adam Zimmer work closely together on the secondary, obviously under Mike Zimmer's watch, because uh, he certainly knows enough about defensive backs and, and kind of how they want to go about that. So it's a collaborative effort. But Sunday against the Seahawks, we heard a lot from defensive players and Zimmer about how they were freelancing at the start of the game. There were certain plays, whether it was Eric Kendricks kind of reaching out of his gap more than he should have, Stephen Weatherly, DJ Wanham, Hunter, um, Michael Pierce. There were just a lot of guys, Griffin, for instance, that were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing that were kind of allowing certain creases and gaps. And what they credit it, they don't credit the, the, the adjustment so much as, oh boy, we got to change our defense. Let's change this call. Let's change that call. Um, the coaches and the players have said, we just kind of settled down and started playing the calls that we should have been playing in the first half, just playing them more accurately, playing them more disciplined, playing, playing them more the way they should have been carried out. And I found that interesting because Andre Patterson mentioned a lot of these guys were just kind of desperate for a win and we're doing a lot of extra stuff going kind of, again, beyond the responsibilities and assignments. And I think that led to a lot of their issues in the first half, specifically when it came to the running game. I do believe they still have an issue in the secondary um, in terms of just not getting beat one-on-one. You, should, you saw Brashad Breeland get beat one-on-one too frequently. You saw Xavier Woods miss tackles. You saw Patrick Peterson get beat by DK Metcalf out of the gate uh, on one of the routes. Um, that, that's a problem that when you face a more prolific passing game, looking at Aaron Rodgers, looking at Justin Herbert, looking at some of these court, Dak Prescott, some of these quarterbacks you're going to be facing pretty soon. Um, that's a bigger problem to me and not just the run stuff that you saw on Sunday. Are you telling me that Zimmer didn't give up play calling duties like he was allegedly contemplating? He did not. He absolutely did not. Um, he's still calling plays. He's called every play to my knowledge for the Vikings so far. Um, it's funny cause he does this every, every summer. He's like, gosh, I should pay more attention to the offense. I should. And I think his way of doing that now is sitting down with Kirk in the middle of the week, as opposed to you know, sitting with Clint Kubiak in the middle of a game and talking through his play calls and stuff like that. They've leaned a lot on Kennedy Palomalu, the running backs coach, Phil Rauscher, the line coach. They've leaned a lot on these O assistants to kind of help Clint along because Clint's a 34-year-old first-time play caller. Like he he needs to kind of be brought through this in a team effort too and his first time through it. So it's been more of those guys. And, and I think Zimmer's been much more of still that same defensive coordinator who tries to oversee the whole team sometimes. So... It'll be interesting to see Sunday when uh, when he sees Kevin Stefanski walking through that door. So we'll um, we'll be breaking it down for you guys right after the game from U.S. Bank Stadium. Ben Gessling should be back with us there. I think Chip Scoggins will be with us as well. Um, you can check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. And please check out this podcast right after the Vikings-Browns game. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>